I'm Penny Borum, and I'm here with Rodney Harrison, who's a lecturer in Heritage Studies at the Open University and the course chair of Understanding Global Heritage. We're going to talk about a research project of Rodney's in the new and cutting-edge field of cyber archaeology, the archaeology of the Internet. This project looks at the function of heritage in one particular online community, which is called Second Life. First of all, Rodney, what drew you to the archaeology of the internet, and in particular to an online or virtual community? I became interested in looking at the internet as part of a, as a broader project which I'm involved in, which is working on uh, an archaeology of everyday lived contemporary life. And I've always been very interested in the relationship between contemporary people, living people, and their material worlds. Online communities that are permeable, so ideas that sort of circulate in online communities also make their way into the real world. You get this sort of traffic of ideas and images and senses of identity and, and creation of community that, that flow between the real world and, and online worlds. Online communities also act as a sort of microcosm of the real world, so we can we can study things that happen in the real world through looking at online communities. Uh, and there has has been a lot of a bit of uh, anthropological work done on, on the nature of online communities, but um, I was interested in looking at how an archaeologist might approach the study of the internet. How would an archaeological approach differ from an anthropological one? The kind of traditional anthropological definition of, of community is, is around a group of people that are partially defined by a particular space. But the sort of new thing about virtual communities is that communities can arise without needing any face-to-face contact. They don't need to be based in the same place. They, they share a virtual space, um, which, which is not a physical space. So anthropologists are kind of really interested in this, these new configurations of community and these new conceptions of community that arise as a result of these new communicative technologies. An archaeological approach to the internet would involve not only a sort of study of the technologies that allow the internet to exist in the world, sort of computers and the sort of hardware stuff, but also a study of virtual material culture, material culture that's made within uh, virtual worlds. It's this interest in, in the relationship between virtual material culture and virtual communities that, that led me to become interested in looking at this particular virtual community of, of Second Life. Is Second Life a typical virtual community, or did you choose it for any particular reason? It's a, a space which looks very much like what people might think of a computer game looking like, which is on the internet, which people log on to, and it's also one that, that is sort of economically important, and there's a lot of money that's constantly made in Second Life, which is one of the things that, that makes it important. Um, they have their own avatar, which is a, a representation of themselves. You're able to modify that avatar to look like whatever you want it to look like, as long as you have the ability to use the, the technologies within the game to allow yourself to do that. You might be a man, in, a, a middle-aged man in real life, but you might look like a chipmunk in the virtual world, or you might be a old woman and you may look like a man with a very long beard in, in second life. So one can change one's appearance to represent themselves in whatever way they would choose to do that. To what extent are the people who use second life limited by what has been developed and designed? Second Life and any online, any, any sort of virtual world is, is governed by a set of world rules in the same way that the real world is governed by real world rules of physics. So at the end of the day, 
you're always governed by a kind of set of rules that, that dictate your existence in Second Life. But the interesting thing about Second Life is that, is that you can create things in Second Life. You can create material culture. You can edit and manipulate the world, and you can edit and manipulate your environment and, and your, yourself, your avatar, the, the clothes that you wear very, very easily, and that, that's part of what it's all about. So for an archaeologist, the sort of the idea of studying a world in which people can spontaneously generate and create material culture is, is very interesting. Um, and it's a place that we would expect material culture to be very important to people's sense of, of selfhood as well as the communities within Second Life that, that use it in, ter- in terms of their sense of identity uh, and in terms of the way in which they interact with one another. A lot of the things that people buy and sell in Second Life are to do with fashion, like they are in the real world. So they items of clothing, but in addition to items of clothing, they have, uh, might be hairstyles or they might be appearances that in addition to uh, things that you can wear on your body, they might be ways of wearing your body itself. So in terms of you being an archaeologist and you virtually excavating this world, this second life, what new tools do you need to be an archaeologist working in the virtual environment? The archaeological study of material culture is actually quite easy. You can click on objects and objects have a history and objects have a sort of tra- a trail. They have a kind of paper trail that you can read by sort of accessing something in the menu that, that exists in any object. And this is a really interesting thing because it allows you to sort of look at how objects move. So who owned this object in the first place? Who created it? And who, who has subsequently owned it and, and passed it on to somebody else? And it also allows you to look at the, the things that were used to create it in the first place. So often people model something using something else. So you can look at the way in which one thing is transformed into another thing. So it's not a kind of traditional conception that people have of, of excavating with a trowel. It's kind of excavating metaphorically in a way. It's, it's digging into the, the sort of history of an object by looking at, at the way it's passed between different people. The other sort of form of archaeology in Second Life is looking at the fun technology. So in the same way that in the real world there's fashions for certain objects, certain objects come in and out of fashion in Second Life. And one of the objects that um, I, I looked at were these hippos, uh, which are objects that you could put keywords into and when you walk within, when your avatar walks within proximity of somebody else with the same keyword in their hippo, objects that were, were around and were popular around about 2004, 2005 in Second Life. They never really caught on and they went out of fashion. And there is now an example of a hippo that's in um, the Second Life Museum. So what was particularly revealing? Was it the fact that it had been put in a museum that was interesting? Or, or was it the hippo in itself that showed something about that stage of the development of Second Life? You have an example of what's essentially a sort of social networking technology that is being produced to work inside what's already a sort of social networking site. So this is a kind of like second tier of social networking technology, which I found very interesting that, that such a thing would exist. The other thing that is interesting about the hippo is the fact that this is something which people consider important enough to conserve. It's, it's um, something which tells us about the history of this virtual community. But there was an explicit program of heritage conservation in Second Life. There were places from the very early builds of Second Life which were actively being conserved, which would normally just be 
as aspects of heritage of, of the early life of Second Life. Who would have been responsible for creating those museums? Would it have been particular users, or was it written into the programme that there was a possibility for that? The programme of heritage conservation seems to have largely been started by enthusiasts, but people who had some sort of association with the with the sort of earliest build of the program, so it's, uh, kind of long-term users, as well as people that were associated with, with the Lindens, which is the, the Linden Lab, is the, the lab, the, the group that created Second Life. It's kind of the equivalent of the state creating its own myths, its own origin myths. And this is, this is something that really interests me because my work is in heritage and I'm really interested in the way in which the state in real life uses objects from the past to create stories about nationhood, origin stories. What we see in operation in, in heritage and second life mirrors what we see in, in the real world. But it, it deals with a, a much more limited palette of heritage than the real world. We sort of see the, the creation of a single official history, a single set of official heritages, the places that are actively conserved as heritage in second life, they tend to be the sorts of places that we would see as being related to authoritative forms of heritage from, from the real world. Places that are like house museums, so for example, Governor Lyndon's house, Governor Lyndon, who was the, the kind of first creator figure in second life, the house that was built for Governor Lyndon has been conserved as a house museum. So this is a sort of the equivalent of a sort of castle or a, or a palace. I think we're much less likely to see what we would call working class heritage being conserved in, in Second Life. It, it's not a sort of everyday set of heritages. It's places that, that represent the governing classes and places that represent the sort of official doctrine, the official sort of document of the place. It's much harder to find anything which we might consider to be a sort of contesting set of heritages. Why is it because aren't people going into the virtual because they might be looking for something other than their real life? It's possible that people are approaching Second Life for a form of escapism from the real world. Perhaps people are looking for a world in which the rules are more firmly stated. What concerns me about this limited palette of ideas about heritage in Second Life is that people exist both in virtual and real world simultaneously. If we have this very strict set of ideas about what heritage is existing in this virtual world, they'll ultimately make their way back out to the real world and this will influence how heritage works in the real world as well. It will, it will mean that contested heritages have less chance of existing and less chance of sort of sticking within the narratives of heritage in the real world. Ah, so you're saying that in some ways the virtual world seems at first sight to be somewhere where people can fulfil their imaginations and go in all sorts of directions, but in fact they're more strictly controlled in that world than they are in the real world and they don't know it. Whether, whether people know it or not, I'm not sure. At first glance, you would assume that you were free to do anything in a virtual world. You can fly, you can change your clothes, you can walk around naked, no one's going to care. You can do anything, or apparently do anything that you'd like in a, in a virtual world. But virtual worlds are dictated by rules in the same way that the real world is dictated by rules. Uh, and, and in many ways, those rules are much stricter in the virtual world because all it would take is the company that, that owns that virtual world to pull the puck on, on it and it doesn't exist anymore. So there is a kind of fragility to, the, to a virtual existence which doesn't mirror the real world, and, and that's a sort of interesting aspect of, of virtual communities. How necessary is it when archaeologists study something like Second Life for boundaries between disciplines to be blurred? I mean, do you necessarily have to start looking at the psychology of the people who go online in a way that you might not have to do 
to work on the Paleolithic, it's, it's very easy to kind of see what you do has done somehow in isolation. One goes to a cave, one excavates the cave, one studies all those things um, in isolation. Although, you know, archaeologists who work on the Paleolithic also work with specialists in other fields, so they might work with somebody who's an expert in, in radiocarbon dating, um, and they may well work with a, a sort of psychologist who, who knows something about um, art and the nature of, in terms of studying cave art. The nature of the contemporary past forces you to think in a much more cross-disciplinary fashion and to look at different ways that other people approach. It becomes very important to sort of look at how other people are approaching contemporary material culture and to, to use those approaches when, when they're appropriate and to use more conventional archaeological approaches when they're appropriate. So the archaeological study of, of the sort of post-internet age is is about retrieving things which are very easily overlooked or retrieving things which are very easily forgotten, things that don't make their way into dominant narratives. And why is it important to be self-conscious about all this? Why is it important to analyse all this? If we don't, what would happen? My interest in contemporary archaeology is to do with my interest in social justice, actually. Um, The sort of work that I used to do in Australia was work with Aboriginal people and it was making sure that Aboriginal people were better represented in national historical narratives through looking at Aboriginal people's labour in the pastoral industry, looking at the relationship between archaeology and land rights issues. Um, and, and my interest in heritage is driven by similar sorts of interests as to do with representation and broader ideas to do with social justice. So I brought those interests to my work on the archaeology of the internet, the archaeology of cyberspace, and, and that's what's driven my interest in heritage within Second Life and this idea of representation, this idea of these very official heritage discourses that I kind of see as existing within Second Life and my concern about those official discourses and the way in which they, and they force other dissenting discourses out from the margins. And this is why I, I've been very interested in looking at how heritage manifests itself in Second Life. So it's these issues of inclusion and exclusion, these issues of representation, which, which interest me most in terms of an archaeology of the internet, because things, ideas flow so easily between the virtual and the real. But it, it's, it's very important for us to analyse what's happening in virtual worlds and understanding what's happening in virtual worlds, uh, because those things will, will influence the real world. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.